Hi, and welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. This is Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and I would love for you to leave me a review of this podcast and also to share and like it and share it with your friends, see what they think and let me know. I would love to shout you out on social media. And also, I would love for you to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN, as well as TikTok. I also have started a YouTube channel at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I'd love for you to follow me on all of those channels. And most importantly, I'd love for you to become a patient. I am now accepting telehealth patients for sexual health as well as menopause health in New York and Michigan. So if you are a woman that is looking for a doctor that understands you and can actually take the time to listen to all of your concerns, reach out to me. Reach out at drsadaf at drsadaf.com. And I would love to see you as a patient. And now for the episode. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flodi, and this episode is everything you need to know about intimacy and relationships and how important it is in our brown culture, in our Desi culture, in any culture, really. And uh, before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that I am not giving any type of medical advice. So if you have any questions about your health, please speak with your healthcare provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So today I am so, so excited to have on with me Dr. Hala Sabri. Yay! She is. I made it. <laughs> yes, she made it. She is a superstar in the physician world, and I am so excited to have her on. So, Dr. Sabri, if you could introduce yourself to um, the viewers and the listeners out there and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I am an emergency medicine physician. I am Egyptian. I'm Muslim. And my intersection with you is kind of being part of a community I built. I, I don't even know if I'd ever meet you otherwise. So I'm so yeah. happy that our paths have crossed. Um, you've been a good friend of mine for, you know, almost two years now, which is really fun. Um, but yeah, I created a really large community of women physicians, um, the largest that exist in the world, um, really to discuss like how to be a doctor and live your life. And nobody ever teaches us that. And I think sex is part of that, right? Like, and I think... Um, Specifically to your topic, you know, one of the things I've learned over the last decade of community building is how much we put in different buckets. Like, you know, depending on our cult, on, on our comfort level, like, okay, well, I'm going to deal with this issue because I'm a doctor or, you know, you prioritize it in different ways based off of your identity and what aspect of your life it's serving. So career and money will put a lot of effort into anything to support that. And so I think what the group does is it kind of, you know, helps us with a lot of the questions that we have, like, you know, how do I create a work schedule where I can actually spend time with my partner? How do I create a work schedule that I can actually have children um, and live my life and not sacrifice money? Um, and so what I started learning over time and what kind of branched me out to actually work with you um, was really like working on, you know, 
what are all of the different important aspects to keep successful women successful? And there's six things, right? And six aspects of our life that we need to make sure that we're paying attention to and we develop goals for, for us to actually keep working and to keep living our life the way that we want to live. And one of them is our relationships, especially our romantic ones, our intimate ones. And that doesn't necessarily mean like with a partner that could be with ourselves, right? And so, but it's a very big, it's, it's one sixth of our lives, you know, and it's just the one sixth that nobody in our culture talks about. Not gr- growing up, we never talked about sex. We never talked about intimacy um, unless it was everything leads to hellfire, which, which is not fun, right? It's definitely not steamy in that way, right? Um, yeah. But nobody absolutely. talks to you about that stuff, right? And so I think what happens is you really lose out. And I feel like there's like this revolution or this awakening of women, especially after they have children, they're like, wait a second, like sex is not just a vehicle to have a baby, but also it's part of our, like our feminine nature, you know, our definition of our personality and ourself, but then there's nobody there to guide you, right? On how to do that. And it's not that they're choosing not to, I, I just don't think that they know how, like, it's like, look at our moms and our grandmas. I mean, I'm maybe I'm generalizing here, but for most of the brown culture or Muslim moms and grandmas, I don't think they could give that advice because I don't think they have it themselves. Yeah. And if they did, there would be a lot of shame. Like, how did you find that out? Like, you know, like you're a dirty girl, right? Like what is happening here? Right. And so, um, so yeah, so we were, you know, you and I were just at dinner and we were talking about this and you're like, come on my podcast. I was like, what? I, I'm, I I didn't even think I, you would, if you asked me years ago, if I'd ever be on a sex podcast, the answer would be no. So (laughs) I hope this is offering any value to anybody listening though. (laughs) No, I think, I think it's fantastic. And I think that, you know, you being very honest, I think is really helpful because I agree. I, I think that, you know, no one talks about this. It's so taboo. And it's not just in like conservative cultures, right? It's really society at large. And the images that we are getting fed constantly is through media, it's on magazines, it's, you know, perhaps pe- what people may talk about with porn, it's, it's different things like that, right? But nobody really talks about wh- what is it like, you know, like, what is it like to be intimate with your partner? Um, You know, and there's not just physical intimacy, there's emotional, there's intellectual, there's spiritual, there's so many other ways to be intimate with people. And and nobody really talks about that. And it's, it's a very hush hush topic. And, you know, maybe people whisper about it, maybe, if you're lucky enough, somebody talks about it with you before you get married. And, you know, some people, the only time they experience intimacy or physical intimacy is after they get married, right? So where where are they supposed to learn? What are they supposed to know, right? Nobody even talks about there's no, I don't know, I guess there is a handbook, but it's not passed down to too many people. (laughs) I don't know anybody who's gotten that handbook. Um, And I've talked to a couple of my friends since then. And I know that like, you know, in my circles growing up, I I know one of my friends, um, their dad is um, a doctor and and a total feminist, you know, and I remember hearing from one of his kids that like, he tried to have this conversation with them of like, hey, listen, remember, intimacy is for you too. Like your job is not to please your partner. It's to also please yourself and make sure that you're pleased. Um, And it, and I don't, I wasn't there for the conversation clearly, but the way that it was relayed to me was like mortified, like just like, oh my God, my dad, right. But I remember thinking like, how cool. I didn't get that. Like I got nothing like, you know what I mean? And, and, um, 
and I was still mortified, right? So like, I think that that was like the default feeling. Um, yeah, what I got, and this is what we were talking about at dinner and we were laughing about it. And I've never told this story at all. It's so freaking embarrassing. Um, but yeah, at my wedding, um, the only advice I got was two people that gave me advice. Um, my grandmother, um, mm-hmm. who said, hey, listen, in your first year of marriage, this is the best advice. I, I think everybody should follow this. This has nothing to do with sex or intimacy, but you need to follow this. Um, she said, in your first year of marriage, I know that you're really super excited. And I know that you have all these ideas and thoughts of what a great wife should be. You need to like not exercise any of that until year two. Like She's like, in year one, do not like do all the cooking and all the cleaning. Do not do anything where the other person thinks that that is a norm now that you're going to have to upkeep for years and years and years and years, right? And I think that's really hilarious, right? And it was the best advice and I did that and it's worked out very well for me. Um, (laughs) But I also think like if my grandmother was, you know, talking about sex, right, or intimacy, I would have hoped that maybe she could have given me advice on that. Like, hey, listen, like demand that now, like demand how often you want it. What, how do you define intimacy? How do you, because you're right. Intimacy isn't just sex. It isn't some physical touch. It is a deep connection of of deep communication between you and yourself and you and somebody else. That's how I define it. Um, But I think if, if my grandmother or my mother, I'm just assuming if they didn't have that, how are they supposed to teach me? Right. Um, And then that's so, it's so customized by you, right? Like, so like, how is somebody really going to tell you how it's right for you, Sadaf, right? Like you, you're going to have your own norms and things that you like and don't like, right? Um, and, you know, and, and the shame is like, you know, it'd be nice to experience that with your partner, at least talk about it before you get married. But then there's like the religious aspect, you're not supposed to do any of that before you get married, right? And so it's like, where, where do you start, right? So that was the one piece of advice I got. Don't clean cook in the first year of marriage. So if that... That's awesome. If that causes any divorces up front, at least you're welcome. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> then, at least now you know. <laughs> and then the second piece of advice that was super unsolicited and mortified, <laughs> my husband and I have only spoken about it like twice because it's so, oh my God. Even me telling you, like I, you guys, I don't, the, the lighting in my room is like dark right now, but I totally am blushing right now. But I was, you know. My, my father had passed away actually years before I got married. And something that was really important to me is that the officiant that married us, the sheikh that married us, knew my dad. Because I just wanted something like, you know, somebody that knew my dad to be there, right? I mean, obviously, a lot of people that came to the wedding knew my dad. But I felt like that was like the presence of my dad. And <clears throat> so I had never met this man before. May, I may have had like a five-minute conversation with him beforehand where he was like, oh, tell me about you. Tell me about him, right? Anyways, the ceremony was beautiful. He was amazing. He gave the best talk. Honestly, it was amazing, right? And so, you know, he, we invited him to stay for the reception, and that was always the plan. And we're sitting there during dinner. My husband and I are, you know, at our own little sweetheart table, and he comes up to us. And, you know, music is playing. We can't really hear, right? <laughs> and... So, you know, I thought he was going to say, like, this is beautiful. Thank you for the invite. You know, whatever it may be. That is not what he said, you guys. He legit tried to give us sex advice. <laughs> On your wedding day. Yeah. And we're standing, we're sitting in front of 220, whatever, however many people I had at my wedding, right? And I remember, like, just having this like fake smile on my face, looking not at him, but like at the people like, what the F is happening right now? Right. (laughs) And, and it was, and, 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 you know, honestly, like 
okay, I'm, you know, I'm 16 years out now, right? And I'm a little bit more mature. I mean, the advice wasn't bad. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't bad, but it was awkward. It's like, you don't know us, right? Like, but I, you know, I give him an A for effort. Um, but I will say all of his advice, well, it was like one piece of advice, but his advice was really like how to make a baby. It wasn't, Oh my God. it wasn't because here's the thing. When you think about like Islam or, you know, a lot of other religions, the sacrament of marriage, the purpose of it is to create a baby that will continue the religion. Like that is why having kids is so important in the religion, right? That, that may not be why you had kids or why I had kids. Right. But you know, from his aspect of being a religious figure, right? Um, so anyways, we we ended up not getting pregnant on our own. We did IVF, so it didn't work. So it doesn't really matter what he gave us. But um, so shout out to all the OBGYNs that made it happen. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, but it was really awkward. And my husband and I, we actually never bring it up, but when it has brought been brought up, we're like, oh my God, that was so weird, right? You know? <laughs> that is, that is, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm impressed that, you know, he actually came up to you and uh, maybe that wasn't the right place to do it, but I'm impressed that he came up to you and yeah. started to talk about that. I mean, that, you know, gosh, nobody really talks about that. Right. And um, let alone the shake. I mean, the, the things that I got were like, you know, before my wedding, I got uh, a pamphlet <laughs> that talked about like the, the duas to say, before you have, you know, the supplications to read before you have intercourse. Um, oh, I never and, that. <laughs> yeah, you should go back, you should ask for one. <laughs> and uh, the other thing was, you know, just that my mom just assumed that I knew, you know, everything because I was a gynecologist. And, um, and the truth was, you know, I just, I didn't really. And so, I think that had there been somebody that you could talk to that you felt comfortable with, I think that would have been really helpful, right? Sometimes there's a little bit of anxiety. There's, uh, you know, I'm sure there's, there's excitement, but there's also anxiety and you're not sure like what to expect and what, you know, if you're, especially if you're a novice and a virgin rather, <laughs> right. And then you don't know what to do and things like that. And, um, and so I think it's always helpful to have somebody just to, kind of talk to and just, you know, ask and what's, what's right, what's not what's right, what's wrong, but like, what, you know, should you experience pain? Should you not? Should you, you know, should you see blood? What if you see blood? What happens, you know, and things like that? Like it's, or what happens if you don't see blood and that's okay too, right? right. Like, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, I mean, I think with every religion, there's all these stories that are told. And I think that there's, these are my thoughts and I am not a sheikh or any religious being, but I think, you know, whenever I read a religious story, I try to like think like, am I literally going to hear, like, listen to this? Am I literally translating this or is this a figurative thing? Right. So I think it's really important also to really understand, you know, your, your stance on, on, on the subject, because even everybody that's listening might have varying beliefs from very conservative, very, you know, orthodox beliefs to very liberal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that there really is a place for somebody who feels comfortable, right? And who has the knowledge, right? There's so much, I feel like there's so much stuff out on social media and there's so many people saying that they know what they're talking about. And then when you look at their credentials, they are 
like say, I don't know, like an occupational therapist or something like that talking about sex, which doesn't mean that they can't, right? It just means that, I don't know, do they have the knowledge that I need for the questions that I'm asking, right? So that mm -hmm. that to me is so, so important. And I think that, and I think you and I uh, talked about this a little bit, is just that how important it is in our culture to have those open discussions so that people don't feel like it's shameful or that it's wrong or that they're dirty or that there's something wrong with them, right? Or that, you know, they, that they're obsessed with sex or something like that. I don't think that's the case at all. And I think what's really important to understand is that to know that Islam is a very sex positive religion and that I had no idea that there are actually sexual rights in Islam, you know, that men have sexual rights, women have sexual rights, actually. Very important for, you know, a wife to be pleasured and um, to experience pleasure during the whole process and during intimacy. And that's something that I never knew about. And so I think that just knowing and understanding that Islam gives women a lot of rights in so many different facets of our life is important. And it really allows somebody that may be a practicing Muslim to allow themselves to give themselves permission. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Yeah, and I also think too, like, um, and this affects all religions, it's not just Islam, but um, you know, the tabooness, the rules, the fact that there even are rules, like whether they're meant to protect or not, you know, rules around sex and women. I mean, they're really, you know, yeah, they have great intentions. Like, and some of them, like I said, you know, there are, there's a literal translation of things and then there's the more, you know, figurative translation of things, right? So however you want to translate, whether it's anything to do with women in the Quran, um, but you have to think about how we exercise some of those things and that it's not just a religious thing that there's like cultural norms, like even like in Pakistani culture it might be a little different than Egyptian culture and things like that. And then the signs of the times, how we approach things right now versus in the 1950s is very different. Right. Um, but I think that at every level of every intersection of what it is, whether it's religion, time of time of, you know, the culture, whatever it may be, the culture, the religion, anything there society has been wired to control women. And the way that we do that is by controlling their freedom, their choices, their pleasure. And um, <clears throat> I just I just heard this story actually like on, on TikTok, which um, I know that you're on and I love watching your videos. So if you guys are not following set off, like make sure that you are. Um, <laughs> and, um, and this story about, and, and this is like a viral post that's been going around. So if you guys have heard it, then you know that we're watching the same stuff. Um, um, about the invention of the bicycle and um, how the invention of the bicycle, like women started using the bicycle a lot more um, because they didn't have access to like, you know, vehicles and things like that. And once they started using the bicycle, and I'm totally paraphrasing this, um, that they found this like way of getting around that was free, right? Like they didn't have to depend on a man. They didn't have to wait for, you know, anybody. And so all of a sudden the bicycle was part of like the liberation movement of women and mm. instead of where, and then they didn't, they stopped wearing skirts a lot because they're like, oh, I, I, it, it limits how I can bike. Right. So they're like, oh, I want to start wearing bloomers or shorts or pants. Right. And, and that was part of the feminist movement. And if, if, even if you look now, like what's considered feminine aren't pants or culottes or something like that. It's like dresses and beautiful gowns. Right. Like it's still there. And the whole point of that story was when you give women a vehicle for movement, they take it and they intersected with all aspects of their life. Like those women started working more. They started meeting for, you know, women's rights to vote, like for suffrage movement. They started doing all of these things. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, is that 
there's six aspects, there's six categories of our life that we live in, right? There's our career, there's our money, there's our relationships, our romantic ones that we're talking about today, right? Um, there's our relationship with our community, friends, family, you know, mosque, all of those things. There's our health and our spirituality. And I think it's truly impossible to be living a very fulfilled and purposeful and successful life, ignoring one of those major things. Like we wouldn't say, yeah, just ignore your spirituality, right? Like, can you imagine a sheikh saying that? Like, yeah, just don't worry about religion. It's going to be okay, right? You'll figure it out later, right? They would never say that, right? Or with your health, like, do not worry about your health. Eventually, you'll all, you'll all figure it out, right? We, we don't lead any other part of our life with such ignorance at all. So why this? Right. And I think yeah. that that's where I think I'm probably a lot more liberal <laughs> than probably people listening. Um, but I start thinking more about the feminist movement and feminist movement doesn't always mean like more sex and risque and the playboy bunnies. And it doesn't mean that. But at least just getting women more comfortable even talking about it and really even paying attention and thinking that their body has a right to pleasure. It's not our bodies were not made to be a vessel for pleasure for men. And right. um in, in heterosexual relationships, right? And so I think it's really, really important to like, just even own that awareness. If anybody takes anything from this podcast, I know I'm not an OBGYN. I know I'm not some sex guru. I never claim to be one. Um, but I think just the awareness of like, where does that shame come from? And I think that shame comes from societal need for control of women. Um, and sometimes, and, and that and that is in religion too. I mean, that's you know, it's a, it's an organized structure of community. When you talk about community, it's like what keeps community together. And unfortunately, sometimes people use fear and shame to pe keep people together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that you know, also when we talk about you know our thoughts around sex, right, mm -hmm. um, and where does that sex negativity come from? And it comes from that fear, that shame, the thought that, you know, it's dirty, it's wrong. And and to be, um, you know, just to kind of go back a little bit, I was reading about, you know, when Islam first came about and, you know, people were very open. People would go to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and ask him very, you know, specific questions about sex. And he would never shun them. He would never, you know, uh, admonish them or say that what they were asking was wrong. He would be very frank and answer their questions. And it wasn't until the Muslims started becoming colonized that we started to become more puritanical, like the, you know, our European colonizers. And then that's when we started to have a lot more shame in talking about these type of topics and, um, uh, you know, thinking that it was dirty and wrong and all of those things. And so, that's really where it stems from, right? And of course, we have different people with different interpretations, but a lot of it does come with being colonized and having that colon, you know, colonized mindset and uh, really not being able to explore and really to learn, right? Even if it's just for the sake of learning, uh, because Islam did have a, a rich history about learning and education and, um, and lots of universities and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think colonization, slavery, um, even if you look outside of the Muslim and brown communities, even if you look in the black communities and the stories that, you know, black Americans tell, I mean, how slaves were used for sex. They were used for breeding. And it's so yeah. horrible. But um, I also think that it's just a testament about how sex can be weaponized. Yeah. And, it, and it's a really, it's a sad thing. Um, and 
I will say that like, I hope, I just hope that anybody listening just gets an awareness of like really their thoughts around how do I feel about sex? Am I listening to this podcast, whether it's this episode or a previous one that Sadaf has done? And do I listen to it in my car quietly? Like I put it down so nobody else hears it. Like what is it about this topic or how do you feel when you listen to it that may have a negative connotation like shame, guilt, fear, whatever it may be, right? And why do you feel that way? And I'll say like, you know, in my coaching practice, I always talk about like you have your reasons for feeling that way. Um, You know, you'll have all these thoughts as to why. Um, And – Sometimes those thoughts are chosen by you and sometimes they're chosen by the community and you have never been given the opportunity to think differently. Um, But this is your opportunity now, right, to start to decide how you want to think about it. And maybe you decide that you don't want to change your thoughts and that's okay. But I think all women should have freedom and choice, just like the bicycle, right? Um, And so if your choice is to not know much about sex or be awkward around it or feel like it is wrong, right, then that's okay, right? But if your thoughts are, no, I want to be more sex positive, I want to be more body positive, and I want to, you know, work with a professional on learning about this more, like you would do anything else. Like if you had diabetes, you wouldn't be like, I think I'm just going to just figure this out on my own. No, you would go to a doctor. Well, I mean, some people actually do do that. But most people, (laughs) and what I recommend as a doctor is that you actually work with a professional, right? And so why is sex, pleasure, and that big part of your life so different. And I will say as somebody who, um, you know, I'm very open about um, my body image issues. I've been really open about it over the last couple of years. Um, And I will say as somebody that had body image issues that, I mean, it didn't really like intersect with my, my sex life at all, but but even going and asking questions, like baseline questions about like my body and how I should feel about my body, right? That's intimacy with yourself, right? And I remember going to my OBGYN and I love my OBGYN like so much, you know, and she helped me out with everything. She always knew all the answers for everything. And so finally I felt comfortable. I'm like, let me ask her about this. And I was like, hey, and I asked her about intimacy and sex. And she was like, you know, maybe we need to make a whole nother visit for that because uh, that's like a new complaint. Right. And I was like, uh, OK. Right. Um, and then that visit just never happened. I don't know how much of that was on me that I felt like I was being shut down. Um, I could tell she was caught off guard. I mean, I could tell, you know, um, but I, I actually never went back to have that co- that conversation with her. And it wasn't until I actually hired somebody. Um, this is before I even knew that you existed, but if I knew that you existed set up, I would have hired you in a second. Um, but I ended up hiring somebody that um, actually does sex coaching and um, I hired her really to talk about just really my relationship with my own body. It wasn't about having sex with my husband or anything like that. It was like, listen, I hate how I, I'm staring at myself in the mirror and I'm tearing myself apart. Like, that's not very sexy. I don't really care. I don't really care if, you know, the sex is good or not. But like, I want to love myself. Right. Yeah. And um, there's I think there's a lot. I mean, I am not um, an expert in this in this arena, but I can only think about you know, at least a couple of different things that lead to the lack of intimacy. And maybe it's not even just the lack of information of what physically will make you better, like feeling good or having an orgasm or whatever it may be that it is. But there's a lot of things that come behind it. There's a lot of mindset stuff. It's not just a mechanical situation. Um, and so and so when you say to me, like, there's no one for us to ask, I, I will say, yes, historically there has not, but now we have you. 
Yeah. You know, thank you, Hala. Actually, I, I, there's so many, there's so many important things that you said um, right now. You know, you talk about mindset a lot, and I know that you are a life coach, and that's actually um, I was going to you as uh, somebody seeking coaching, and you know, you are amazing, and I know you have your own program that you do. Um, but one of the really profound things that I learned from you, um, and I've never even told you this, so I want to tell you this now, okay. is I always say it in my head is that you get to choose your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you say that all the time. Um, and you say, you know, that does this thought serve you? Does it not? But that you get to choose your thoughts. And whenever I think of that phrase, I think of you. And I think of how empowering that is right? Is that when we realize that we get to choose our thoughts, um, that we can change them if we really want to. And we get to believe what we want to believe. I mean, not in a bad way, right? Not like we're making up fiction or something like that, but especially when it comes to ourselves and whether or not we love ourselves or whether or not we, you know, love our bodies and things like that. But we get to choose what we say to ourselves and we get to decide. Um, another thing that I think you bring up, which is so important, is um, body image, right? We know definitely in intimacy um, that body image is huge, right? You're not going to want to be with somebody else if you don't love yourself and if you don't love the way that you are right now, right? Maybe, you know, maybe somebody's thinking like, oh, I'll love myself once I'm like 10 pounds lower or, you know, 20 pounds or once I do this, once I do that. But you really have to figure out, you know, what's holding you back from loving yourself right now the way that you are. And, you know, whatever it is, can you work on that? Can you love yourself just and accept yourself and show yourself compassion, right? I think oftentimes we show our loved ones, we show our best friend, we show them kindness and love and compassion, but we don't show ourselves that. And I think that, you know, that's probably one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves is just to love ourselves. Because once we are able to love ourselves for who we are and what we are right now, then we can then share that intimacy with somebody else. And sometimes when we have issues with body image, you know, when we are physically intimate with somebody, we're spectating, right? Like we're outside of our body, we're watching ourselves, you know, we're not liking this, we're not liking that about ourselves. And we're missing the whole connection, right? There's like a mind-body connection that's happening but it's not happening because you're so worried and looking at you know yourself in the act of doing whatever it is that you're doing. So I think that if you can find that love for yourself and that compassion, that it will take you so far in life. You know. I mean, to add to what you said too, like the other thing that to add to what your last point that was that you said, um, even when relationships don't go the way that you want, right? Like. I, I talk a lot in my program and I I would love for you to come actually and coach my program. I think it'd be really fun um, because, you know, those six, yeah. those six um, avenues that I talk about, what I do is now I'm bringing in speakers actually that are experts in each of those avenues in addition to me. Right. And, um, you know, I have them, yeah. I have them coached. So I would love to formally invite you because yeah, I think I it's so it. important. And I think that you have done amazing work, not only as an OBGYN, but also like the actual mindset piece, which it is, it, it's, it's so important, right? Um, because if our if our thoughts, if we're not choosing thoughts that serve us, we're never going to feel confident or empowered or whatever the whatever the feeling is that you want to create to actually do the actions to learn or to create pleasure or to create intimacy or to create acceptance of yourself. 
I do want to say though, is one of the things I would talk about my program, and this is not just only to sex, this is in, you know, your work, your money, all this stuff is I think women, um, were socialized to, um, and there's a lot of history on this, but, um, that, you know, I can, I can use as case, you know, case study here, but we're socialized to externalize our value. So we will depend, we'll decide what our value is, um, or if we're doing good or bad based off of like other people's thoughts and opinions of us. And, even if you are the kind of person that's like, no way, I don't do that. It shows up in a very sneaky way, right? Like I see it all the time. I coach hundreds and hundreds of women um, that are in really successful positions and I see it. It's very subtle sometimes. And one of the things that I see and, um, you know, is I see especially really successful women, they'll be in relationships. And if, you know, it's not going the way that they want it to go, or like say the other partner is just not meeting their needs, or maybe they're there's infidelity, right? Or whatever it may be, right? If it's not going well, it's it, it's almost like a it's a it's expression of our value. Like, oh, you know, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this. I'm not. You know, if I did this more, if I didn't work as much, if I didn't make yeah. as much money, where he wasn't intimidated, if I made him more feel more of a man, right? Yeah. And I'm only talking about heterosexual relationships, but you know, um, right. I, I want to make that caveat that not everybody that I coach is in heterosexual relationship, um, but. It's that thought like that if somebody else doesn't uphold the expectations that they have for themselves or the level of intimacy that they want for themselves, that that is a reflection on on them, right? And so I think it's really, really important. Um, and, I, and I think that the benefit of going to someone like you, <clears throat> I feel like this is a walk-in commercial, but it's not. I, I promise you guys. But I want to say that like, like I love my OBGYN and nobody would, will replace her. But I think that sometimes we're not ready to have that mindset discussion. Yeah. In medical school, we never learn the mindset discussion. We are strictly never. learning, like, this is how, this is the test you order, and this is how you analyze it, and this is what you do. These are the algorithms. This is how you analyze a study that's coming out. But the mindset piece, and even, you know, a lot of my clients are psychiatrists. And this is not even, this is, even the psychiatrists, they do a lot of motivational interviewing and therapy, and, like, they are amazing, right? Yeah. And... It is very different than coaching. It doesn't, it's not, it's not better, nothing like that. It's just so different to analyze people's thoughts and why are they thinking that way? And there is no freaking medicine. There's no antidote to fix that except for uncovering their thoughts. And in this community, the community that you serve, Sadaf, like this, you know, Muslim community and you know, maybe an intersection of brown community. On top of that, there's a lot of socialization of what we believe. And <clears throat> there's no medicine for that. Yeah. And so I'm really happy that I mean I know when I started working with working with you you were thinking about actually you're thinking about a whole different business but this is what you actually really wanted to do. And um I'm so glad that you did it because anybody that intersects with you and I and I my only regret with working with you is that I wish that you were ready with this business 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But you know what you're here now and so you know I think that you're benefiting so much including me. I mean, even we we're out to dinner, you know, what, a month ago? And yeah. even, you know, I was talking to you about some stuff that I, you know, think I'm not really struggling with per se, but I think could be better, right? And so, um, and it's funny, like, just because you're working on something doesn't mean it has, it's something that's horrible, right? Like, I help people make more money all the time. And the people that are in my group are making a lot of money. Um, I mean, I my group's called 1% Women's Club. And so, the, the people in my group are making usually 200, 300, 400,000 dollars more, right? So, but I help them make more money, 
right? Nothing is wrong. I mean, they're 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 already making enough money. They're not worried about their physical physiologic needs being met. They have shelter. They have food. But there's nothing wrong with wanting more of what you love, right? From a place of like, you know, clarity and, and, and honoring your values, not like greed or anything like that. And so even if you do have, you know, a good sex life or you you're, you do have a great like body image with yourself, all the things that you have a baseline that's just better than when where I started, there's nothing wrong with wanting more of that and working with somebody to help you. So I, I hope that I hope that this will break down like the taboo-ness of talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you saying that. And I agree with you 100%. I think that, you know, working on mindset is so key. Mm-hmm. And really, it's it's the basis for everything, right? Regardless of whatever it is that you're doing, it could be your business, it could be your money management, it could be whatever you're doing. You know, I think that the way that you think impacts everything. And, you know, there is a, a coaching program called Positive Intelligence. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's with, um, it's based off of, there's this man, uh, Charmaine uh, Shazad, which I feel bad that I may even get his name wrong. But anyways, um, he created this whole program and it's a little bit like emotional intelligence, but it just talks about, you know, how our thoughts um, and our mind are basically, really our mind is broken up into like a sage and a saboteur and uh, sages are uh, the parts of our brain that are always thinking of like the good thing and, and not like toxic positivity, but, you know, trying to find the gift in everything that happens to you. And then the saboteur is, is the part of your brain, which is, you know, constantly judging others and judging yourself and things like that. And then, you know, you choose to take that sage perspective so that um, you're able to grow and achieve more in life. Uh, regardless of whatever aspect of your life you're working on, right? As opposed to the saboteur, a part of your brain, which is always judging others and judging yourself and thinking you're not good enough. And, you know, only if you had done this, only if you had done that and, you know, Mm -hmm. causing you to have ruminating thoughts and things like that. And so um, I really believe in that as well. And I think that, like you said, mindset really is everything and working on that will really change your whole life. And, um, and as it pertains to intimacy, I think also is very important important to see where you're at and see how you can move forward and whether or not the thoughts that you have are serving you. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your own coaching program that you have, um, you know, and tell people about that and if they were interested. And before we go into that, actually, I wanted to uh, just make a little comment about what you said about your OB and how they didn't really like answer your question. And I think that comes a lot with our training as gynecologists, you know, I, and I talked about this a few times before is that in medical school, we never really got the training for sex ed, right? I mean, I don't know about your med school, but my med school, uh, and I went to Michigan State, we only had like about two, three hours, maybe of sex ed. And that was, you know, the Masters and Johnson's um, sexual response cycle that was research done in the 1960s on old white men. And like uh, before, what I had mentioned is that in 2001, that's when Rosemary Bassan came on to the field and she came up with the female sexual response cycle. And so think about how many years that took, right, from 1966 to 2001. And in between that, there was no other sexual response cycle except for the one that we had that was created back in 1966. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, a lot of OBs, we just don't know. We don't know 
um, that much about sexual health. In residency, we spend four years, but nobody really talks about sexual health again. And so unless you're really interested in sexual health or menopause or perimenopause or any of those things, you're not going to learn unless you specifically go and seek it out. So maybe she wasn't ready for your question. Maybe she didn't have the answer. And maybe she yeah. didn't know how to answer it. There's, you know? there's a lot of possibilities. And I don't hold it against her. She's still my OBGYN. Um, yeah. And I don't think she'd be listening to this podcast because she's just not the right demographic. But if you're listening, I love you so much. Uh, <laughs> but I will say that, uh, yeah, all of these things are possible, right? Like she was caught off guard. She really she's, she is happy to teach me, but I didn't go to the follow-up. There's so much, right? So I'm just saying that like in that moment, I felt like this like shame and like, shit, I shouldn't have asked that. Right. Like, you know, and then I, I just never followed through. Right. And so it's just another example. I mean, and even like, you know, I did IVF. I'm very open about my IVF um, experience. And um, I'll say for all of you guys that are listening and you do IVF, it kills your freaking sex drive. And it changes your relationship with sex because sex becomes a vehicle to make a baby. And for those of you that have ever struggled with infertility in any way, even if it's just like trying to have a baby over a couple of months, it's very calculated. There's nothing sexy about it. It's like, oh, I'm peeing on a stick. I'm ovulating. Let's go, right? Like there's nothing. There's nothing, right? And so I did that for five years. I did eight cycles of IVF and never once did my infertility doctors who are amazing, never once did they say like, hey, how is your sex life like outside yeah. of this, right? Like it just, right? You almost sacrifice that that identity of yours, um, at least I did, um, to go have my kids. And I would never go back and change that for, you know, I love my children. Um, and I want to change my thoughts about it. And I think one of the most beautiful things about coaching is that when you're aware of your thoughts and feelings and you choose what you actually want to think and feel, and again, it's not magic. You don't just all of a sudden think that, you know, but there's a way to, and that's why working with a coach consistently, it's like almost going to the gym for your brain, right? So you don't just go to the gym once and go, yep, I'm bulked up. That's not exactly how it happens. Like you have to continue yeah. working on it, right? And then if you don't work on it, like, you know, your muscles start to shrink again, right? And so you have to keep maintaining that. But the one thing I'm so excited about coaching um, from a personal aspect of me as being a client is that the way I show up for my kids is different. The way that I talk to my kids is different, you know? So even dealing with things like, you know, my kids, you know, they're getting to the age now that, you know, my, my oldest daughters are, you know, starting to ask questions about bras. And I, um, you know, I just went through a, a major surgery. I did a prophylactic mastectomy. And so I was very open with them during the process. And they were asking questions like, mom, like, when am I going to have boobs like you, you know, and, you know, and let's talk about pubic hair. You know, they've seen me naked 5 million times, right? So it's like they're asking questions. And, you know, and instead of me going, I'll talk to you about it when you're 13, you know, I'm like, oh, let's talk about it, right? And I, you know, it's interesting because when those topics come up, you know, those are circumstances that we're dealing with. And so we have thoughts about them. And if the thoughts lead to shame and guilt or fear or awkwardness, we're going to show up differently than I, I whenever, I mean, I'm not going to say I don't have fear, shame, guilt. I have all of those things. But when I recognize that that's what I'm feeling, and these things happen really fast, you guys, like seconds, like so fast, right? Our neurons are so fast. But I know when I feel those things, because I don't want to take actions from those places, my default is to push myself into curiosity. So I'm like, I don't know, when do you think I'm, you're going to get boobs like that? Do you want boobs like that? What do you think you want? What do you, why, why? Like just asking questions instead of feeling really awkward about it and being really more explorative. Um, explorative? I think that's the right word. Sorry, English is not my thing apparently. Um, 
But it's been really fun to show up differently for my kids than my mom did for me. And not that my mom showed up in a horrible way. She showed up how she could. She did what she did what she could with what she had at the time. And now I'm doing what I can with what I have at the time. And I and I attribute all of that to coaching and learning from other people as well, like you. And so it's been really, really interesting um, to have those discussions. But um, but yeah. So yeah. Anyways, um, but yeah, in my program, I talk about all this stuff. I, um, if sex comes up, we'll talk about it. I am not a sex guru. I will say that. But I'll say for coaching, really just identifying what people are thinking, why they think that, what that makes them feel, and then what is the result that it's creating right now, um, which is not the result that they actually want, and learning how to, how to manage that. Um, you can coach on any topic, really, in my program. Um, but what I love doing is not only offering my perspective and also really showing them their thoughts and, and feelings and their awareness so they can make changes from a place of empowerment, not just like trial and error, just like throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what's working, right? Um, but I also love bringing in, you know, experts to really give that education piece and, you know, and coach alongside with it. Um, and I think one of the things I try to tell all of my clients, actually this week we took a little bit of a break off of coaching. Um, I so they can implement some of the changes is that sometimes, um, and you might be doing this on the podcast too, as you're listening, you know, our brains go into consumption mode. Like we just want to learn all of the things. And so we're like, Oh, let me just learn this. Let me listen to this podcast or let me, um, read this book or let me, you know, set off, just mention this one positive, um, program, this, uh, positive intelligence, positive intelligence, intelligence yeah. program. Now I need to deep dive in that. Right. It's our brains, especially for really successful women, um, our brains are like, let's consume because the two things that we are really comfortable with for the most part is our brain power. And sometimes if we're making enough money, right. Is, um, I mean, well, actually, I, I don't know if that's true because we always think that we maybe not make enough money, but if we're financially secure, I should say, um, is our wallets. And so whenever we start feeling like overwhelmed, confused, scared, whatever it may be, our brains go into this mode of default. And it's like, let me consume, let me study my way out of this. Let me learn all the things because I know I could depend on my brain, especially if you're listening to this and you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer, pharmacist, dentist, like these like, you know, professions where you have to take a lot of tests um, and do a lot of certification. It's like, wait, I know how to do that. I could study really well. I could do that. Um, and so we default on that, you know, or we do something like, you know, we use our money, we leverage our money. Like, let me outsource this. Let me just hire someone and fix it. Right. And what we what we miss if we're defaulting to one of those two things. And it doesn't matter if it has to do with sex, it has to do with growing a business or, you know, dealing with work issues. Literally, these are just responses that I see a lot in my in my practice. Um, if we do that, what we actually miss is actually identifying really that cycle, like where does it start and how is it ending? And where do you want to intersect that cycle? And then actually implementing those changes. And implementation, if you look at any learning model, implementation is probably the most important aspect, but we don't, we pass right over it. We're like, let's go to consumption to, um, you know, to attempted delivery and then to more consumption. We don't actually like implement those changes and create more different patterns in our brain that actually serve us to have our consistent results. And so when we don't do that, when we just listen and binge listen to podcasts, and I'm not saying don't listen to set of podcasts, you really need to listen to all of them, but spend as much time implementing those changes. And sometimes we need help doing that. Um, I wouldn't say sometimes, I think all the time. Um, personally, I work with coaches at, like as a client. I'm not just a coach. Um, and some people say, oh my gosh, then how are you coaching people if you still need to work on yourself? And that's like, that's ridiculous because 
we're doctors and we still have doctors because we have our own health, you know, to maintain, right? And so I view my brain as one of the organs I want to maintain, you know? And so I still work on this. I still, you know, I, I still work with a coach and things like that. Um, but I think the implementation piece is giving yourself time to actually do the thought work and actually like notice like what I was just telling you with my daughters, like when they tell me, when they ask me a question that I think is a little awkward for me to stop, ask myself, like, how am I feeling right now? Why am I feeling like this? How do I want to feel? How do I want to think? And usually in those moments, it's happening so fast, right? So I don't have the answers in that moment. My kid's like, when are my boobs going to get big? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> right? And, but at least I know I'm feeling that way in that moment. And then I could be like, okay, Hala, shift to curiosity. I don't know. When do you think, right? And, and then I start and – then, and then I can gather my thoughts. I'm like, well, my, my breast started growing at the age of 14 and my mom started growing at the age of 14. And usually what they say is usually around the time that your mom and your grandma did. But it could be any time. Why? Why are you asking that? What, what do you want? You know, and just asking more – you know, and having a discussion. And what I'm showing my daughter at that time is that she can have that discussion. And she can have that discussion with me. She's not just having it – I'm pretty sure she's having it on the recess playground with her friends. Right? But I also want her to have it with me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I want her to lead her life with curiosity. And yeah. I want her to be more empowered. Um, and I think that's the biggest win about coaching. So even if you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to hire a coach, whether it's set up or the next person, whatever it may be, if you don't think that you're worth doing it for yourself, do it for your kids. Yeah. And um, it will change the trajectory of your legacy of how you show up in your family. And so just like I shared in the beginning of this podcast, um, and maybe this is where I end it here. Um, you know, the, my grandma and her effect on me, right? <laughs> With her advice in my wedding a day. Um, I don't know if my husband actually knows that. So if he's listening to this, sorry, that's why I didn't do shit in the first year. <laughs> I just honoring my grandma, right? But um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, you know, that had such impact on me, right? And I was like, you're right. Like, really understanding people's expectations and understanding my limitations and giving myself flexibility is really important. And so what I hope that I offer my daughters is not only that, but also modeling for them, curiosity, love for your body, love for um, all parts of our body, what it can do, what it can't do, what it can't do yet, right? What it will do, what you need to train it to do, right? Whether that is sex, whether that is exercising, you know, they're in all these sports, like all these things are part of their health. And sex is just part of your health. It's not like some taboo thing. It's part of your health, right? And so I think it's really important. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm really happy that you'll come and talk to my program. And my program is called 1% Women's Club. It's made for successful women. I don't check your W-2s, you guys. Like you just you decide if you're 1%. Maybe that's the thought work you need to do before you get into the group. Um, but if you're in a very successful position, if you are a doctor, lawyer, pharmacist, dentist, like anything where you had to take multiple tests, maybe you have more than one degree, I promise you, you're part of the 1%. Um, and what we do is we coach on all things of how to scale your life to be as big as career, your career. And one of the things is talking about sex and intimacy in our bodies. Um, and I'm excited that you get to see set up there too. So yeah, thank you for this. Thank you for even inviting me. I'm like, so excited that I was on this. <laughs> no, I was, I was actually really nervous coming up to this this morning. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to say. But, um, <laughs> You're doing yeah, fantastic. It was a show that, you know, there's more work to do.
to prepare. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, you know, you talk about mindset and I think that that is just amazing. And I think that your 1% club is also, you know, your coaching program, I think is also very impactful and really changes lives. So, you know, I thank you for doing that. Um, what if somebody is listening? I know you talked about your 1% coaching club. Um, how else can people find you? Where can they get in touch with you? You know, they're like, oh my God, Hala is the most amazing woman that Salaf <laughs> has ever had on her podcast. Podcast. How can I, you know, become a follower, oh, fangirl all over her? Where? Oh my how gosh. Um, well, I love you so much. I just want to say, if anyone's thinking that, thank you yeah. so much. Um, I will say, and my mission is to create more leaders and less followers. But if you want to do that by starting to follow me and then, you know, learning from things I post and things that I do, um, I mainly am on Facebook. I'm on all platforms, um, but I mainly post on Facebook. So I'm one of those old people that are on Facebook. Um, and uh, my name is super searchable. Um, Hala Sabri Elnagar. It's my married name that's on there. Um, but you can also find me on um, halasabri.com. Um, if you're a doctor and you want to take advantage of other communities that I've built, you can go to mypmg.com. But um, I mean, anywhere that you find me, just reach out. I, I'm pretty good about responding. And um, yeah, or you could stock set up, set up can connect us. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, I just want to say that you're being very humble when you say, oh, I just started this little group. It's called PNG. <laughs> um, it has like over 70,000 um, participants. So yeah, it's not a, a big deal. Yeah. She is a big no. deal for anyone that is listening. Anyone that's a physician, mom knows Hala Sabri. Everyone oh, knows Hala. You are so sweet. <laughs> and Hala is amazing. So, well, thank you so much, Hala, for coming on and sharing with yeah. us your expertise, your knowledge, and all of the pearls that you gave us about mindset and thoughts and feelings and how we get to choose and we get to be the captain of our lives and nobody else. And it's so empowering. You are so empowering to women and showing us what we can do with our lives. So thank you so much for all that you do. And well, we are done here and it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So if you're having any issues, please speak with your healthcare provider. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. So thank you for listening to the podcast and make sure you leave us a review, share and like the podcast. And if you leave me a review, I'd love to shout you out on social media. So be sure that you share it with all your friends. And thanks for listening. Thanks.